Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. This morning we're looking at the story of creation. God's creation, how magnificent it is, and how interesting it is. Uh, Sharon and I have been amazed this fall, and I'm wondering if any of you have noticed this. I have never seen more acorns in my life. Anybody else with me on that one? How many of you have made, I mean, we have all kind of acorn trees around our house, and for the past two weeks, day and night, 24-7, ding, dong, ding, dong, ding. Hitting the house 24-7. And when this last wind came through, oh man, it was like a hailstorm. And you come walk down the side of my house, the ground is covered with acorns as thick as it would be if it were, would have been a hailstorm. It, it is amazing. And, it, and God's creation is truly amazing. And we talk about it a lot. But I got to thinking in preparation for today that we seldom read it. We seldom look into it, but that's what we're going to do today because God's creation is described for us in Genesis chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 2. And folks, I don't care what the universities teach or the high schools teach or the museums say. Folks, at best, what they're telling you is theory. At best, it is theory. And if they are intellectually honest, they will admit that. They were not there. There is no evidence to confirm their theory. I believe God's word. And if you, listen, if you start buying into this idea of millions or billions of years and evolution and Big Bang, you are believing a lie. Don't let it undermine your faith. Take Genesis 1 at face value. And trust God and trust his word. We'll begin though in Psalm chapter 19, verse number 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That means just go outside and look up. And if you don't believe, there's a, if you don't believe that that is evidence for God, you do so willfully. And therefore are subject to God's wrath. Because it declares the glory of God. Now let's do something a little different. For some of you, it's been a long time since you've had a test. We're starting off this morning with a true or false test. I always liked those because at least I had a 50% chance. You know, multiple choice, I had a 25% chance of getting it right usually. This, you have a 50% chance. Here's the test. Question number one, true or false? Books write themselves without the need of an author. True or false? Well, the answer is false. That's right. That's preposterous that books would write themselves. That's, that's nonsensical. Second question, true or false? Cars build themselves without need of a manufacturer. Of course, false. It's, again, preposterous, the idea that a car is going to be there of its own volition, its own will or whatever. All right, you're doing good. Question number three, 
Music composes itself into beautiful harmonies without the need of a composer. And the answer, obviously, is false. No, that's not going to happen. Notes are not going to appear and then arrange themselves in some sort of beautiful harmony. All right, question number four, last question this morning. Everything that exists came into existence by itself. It just, it just did. It just, well, according to secular scientists, true. See how absurd? See how absurd that is? Don't let them influence you. Tell your kids to disregard, if, if they happen to go to a public school or a secular university, tell them to disregard all of that. That's nonsense. According to the Bible, and I would add common sense, that's false. Common sense is on our side, folks. The Genesis account of creation is the only account of origins by someone that was actually there. Why should we give credibility to the Bible? Because it is God's word and God was there. It would be foolish not to believe God or his word. I think the Genesis account of creation is just inspiring. The idea that it comes into being by, by the will of God. How long has it been since you've read the Genesis account of creation? We're going to take it this morning, day by day, verse by verse. We begin with day one, and let this inspire you. Let this encourage you. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is day one. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Before God began to create, there was absolutely nothing. And yes, God created everything from nothing. God spoke it into being. God said. And the first thing that he created was the earth, Oh, excuse me, that come across loud. It was originally, as we just read, covered with water. And then there was darkness all around. But then God on that same first day said, let there be light. And instantly there was light. And we don't know on that first day the source of that light. But we know it wasn't the sun because the sun wasn't created until day four. But at the end of that day, God said it was good. Now, some people raise the question, well, how could there have been an evening and a morning? How how could there have been day and night without the sun? Well, you only need two things. You need a source of light, and God said on that first day there was light, and he didn't give you the source, and all you need is is a a sphere called the earth, a round orb rotating, and you're going to have day and night. You're going to have morning and evening. And what the source of that light was on day one, we don't know. But you're not going to trip God up and say, wait a minute, you can't have day and night, you know, uh, on day one. Yes, you can. You have a revolving planet. You have a source of light. You've got day and night. On day one, you have the earth. You have water. You have light. Day two. 
And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. The firmament is talking about the air. It's talking about, I, I, for years, when I was a kid, I always thought that was talking about the earth. It's, it's not. It's talking about the, the atmosphere, the sky, outer space. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So on day two, again, try to use your imagination that this universe is being birthed into existence. Only God was there to see it, but it must have been a marvelous sight to see. On day two, it's describing that the waters are divided. Some of the water stays here on earth and eventually is going to form the oceans and the lakes and the streams and the rivers. But it says the rest of the water on day two was divided from the waters on earth and was placed above the firmament uh, in, our, in our atmosphere and above our atmosphere. So where did the water go that God put in this firmament? Well, we know up in the sky we can see the clouds, but it is even suggested by these verses and a lot of uh, theologians interpret this to mean even in outer space, which you know what? Have you heard them recently say, we have found water on Mars We have found water out in space. That would coincide with what the Bible teaches right there on day two. Don't let that that shake your faith. You, You go ahead and read what happened on day two and you say, well, it makes sense that that could be exactly what happened. Dividing the firmament, the waters above the firmament. Amazing about the Bible. The Bible will always prove itself true. Day three. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. Okay, it's on day three that the waters separate and dry land appears. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after its kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. So on day three, the Lord speaks. And he commands the water to to separate, and we see the dry ground appear. And now that there's dry land appearing, God commanded it to produce plants. And soon the the fruit trees and the grass and the flowers and all the plant life appeared on the earth. Can you imagine seeing that appear? If if we could have been so privileged to have been there and to, to see that happen. Because the water went into one place, as the Bible describes, it seems as if God created one big ocean and, at that time, one big continent. Say, well, how do you explain the different continents? Well, the flood could have caused what we now call these tectonic plates. And again, that makes sense. That's logical, much more so than theories of evolution and theories of that would include the Big Bang. So then we have day three. And again... Use your imagination. 
to see in the expanse of all of that nothingness, the, the earth come into place and, and the water and then the water into the heavens and then the dry land appear and then all the beautiful plants and, and, and flowers and the fruit trees and, and, and all of that. Now, I, I would take exception with this. I don't think tomatoes came till after the curse. You would take exception with that, Sharon? Yeah. I don't like tomatoes. Day four. Genesis 1.14. Again, use your imagination. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Think about that. There's a reason the stars are in the sky and the planets. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On day four, he fills that vastness of space with all sorts of amazing and beautiful sights. The lights, including the sun, the moon, the stars. You you have the planets, you have Saturn, you have asteroids. I mean, just all of this amazing expanse filled with these amazing spheres and all of this that's going on. And, and it was on day four that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he explains in there the purpose of them, for which they do serve. He says the first reason he created them was for signs and seasons and days and years. And the sun actually tells us what time it is, you know, the sundial. The moon determines our months. Years are determined by the earth's revolution around the sun. And and the stars can be used to determine direction here upon the earth. So not only are they described on day four, the purposes are set forth on day four for them being made. And we can see, in fact, that that is exactly the case. And he says the other purpose for the sun and the moon is to provide light on the earth. And, of course, the sun gives, you know, light uh, during the day. And the reflection of the sun on the moon and the stars as well give us light in the evening so that we can see. And that is stated in creation. And, in fact, that does bear true. That's day four. Use your imagination. The vastness of space and now all these twinkling stars are appearing and you've got fantastic planets like Saturn and its rings and all of that. Then we come to day five. I think day five is particularly cool. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales. Think about these beautiful oceans, crystal clear, no no pollution whatsoever. And then here comes a big whale, or here, here come some dolphins, 
are the big stingrays, you know, almost like they're flying through space, except they're flying through the water. And to see those begin to appear. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Every winged fowl. On that day he created the birds. If, if we could have had the privilege of standing here on this earth and all of a sudden, what is that? And to see, you know, a, an eagle fly by or just to see a robin hopping around on, on the ground or a little hummingbird, you know, busily going from those newly created plants and flowers. Can you imagine? And it's all perfect. And it's all perfectly beautiful. And the, the coloration is beautiful. And the contrast is beautiful. And it's all wonderful. God said, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters and the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. The Bible says that on day five he created all of these sea creatures and the, the fish and he creates the birds and the flying creatures. Uh, and again, nothing is said there about millions of years. Nothing is even implied about the possibility of, of evolution there. He spoke and they were created within that one day. The fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And then that brings us to day six. <coughs> we read about that beginning in verse number 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, reptiles and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then skip down verse number 31. And God saw that everything he made had made, and behold, on this last day, of actual creation, he said, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So it's on day six that God brings forth all the living creatures, at least the, the, the land animals and reptiles and insects and what have you. And they all are appearing on that day along with the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. And he states in this description several times in the book of Genesis chapter 1 that he created them to re reproduce after their kind. Which means that dogs will always reproduce dogs and cats will reproduce cats and horses, horses and so forth and so on. And then God at the very end saves the best for last, if you will. The creation of man, the creation of woman. And he says he does that, he does that um, 
at the end of his creation, the height of his creation, in his image. In his image. More about that in a second. And understand this, that all of these land animals and, and, and men and women were created to be vegetarians. You, you say, well, wait a minute. Um, if we were here for millions of years, then animals would have been eating animals and animals would have died and men and women would have died. But that's where the problem lies. Because according to Scripture, you don't have death till after the fall. Okay, you, you can't have millions of years. That's in direct contradiction to God's word. Sorry, I'm going to believe God's word. Rather than a bunch of secular scientists, I don't care how many letters they have after their name, if they are going to be willfully blind to the truth of God's creation, I don't have time to listen to you. And I am not going to allow you to shake my faith in God when I can look out there and I believe everything I see. There had to be, where there is a creation, there had to be a creator. And I believe God's word that death did not occur till after the fall. That being the case, you could not have had millions of years. It's impossible. If you did have millions of years, then God's word is mistaken and that creates all sorts of problems but the truth is it's not mistaken which then brings us to day seven a little bit in chapter two thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had, God created and made. God chose to create everything in six days. And at the end of the sixth day, God looks down and he said it was very good. Then the next day on day seven, God rested from his work. Why? Did God need rest? No, but it's a, it's a model which we follow to this day. How many days in a week? Seven. For centuries, there's been a day of rest on day seven. And again, that's the model that God has given to us. That is the model that man has followed for all these years. Because it is ordained of God to be that way. And he set the example for us in creation, working six and resting on the seventh. And it's been proven that that is the best model for man to follow. That when man has tampered with that, say no days off or, you know, monkey with it, this, that, or the other, it doesn't work as well as the model that God established. We, we are at our best, we are at our most productive when we follow the seven-day week, as God ordained, with a day of rest. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there to see this? To see this sphere come into existence in the midst of nothing. To see a light appear. To see the water there. And then to see the, the, the land appear. To see plants appear. To see trees appear. To see fish and beautiful things in the, on the ocean. And then the beautiful birds in the sky. And to hear the chirping and to stand there. Just in utter amazement of all that. And, and then... Uh, Perhaps later to see a, an amazing giraffe walk by, or, or, or to, to see a herd of bison, or, or whatever it might have been. 
What an amazing sight. I find great comfort in that. I find great peace in that. To know that God is in control. There are three great truths that we learn from the Genesis account of creation. Number one, the Genesis account of creation confirms and proves the existence of God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we conclude that creation is true, then it follows that God must exist. You say, well, where did God come from? He's God. He's always existed. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't need to create. He is God. Now, again, is that hard for our little finite minds to get around? It is for mine. But it makes sense that if you're God, you are self-existing, and you have always existed. Where there is creation, we know there has to be a creator. When Sharon and I are able to get away and take a little trip, um, we like to go into local art galleries. I mean, even when we go, we'll go up to um, Charlevoix and walk that little strip down there, and there's some art galleries, and can't afford to buy any of the art, but we like looking at the art. And invariably, you'll see a lot of similar art. And I will, or Sharon sometimes will say, you have a lot of this particular style. I see this person's name. And they they will say, that's a local artist. Well, (laughs) never have we gone into an art gallery and said, you know, "This this is beautiful. Who painted this? Oh, nobody. It just appeared. No, where there's a painting, there's, there's going to be an, an artist, and it'd be preposterous to say that no one painted it. It just showed up. It just, it just happens. You know, art demands an artist, and creation demands a creator. So understand, the Genesis account of creation confirms the existence of a creator God. And to ignore that is to be willingly ignorant of I would say the obvious, in which case God would be proper in judging such individuals that are so haughty and so proud and so arrogant as to think they can ignore the truth, the truth of God's general revelation or the truth of God's specific revelation. You do so at your own peril. So the Genesis account of creation confirms the existence of a creator God. Number two, the Genesis account of creation explains that man was uniquely created in the image of God. We are, in all of God's creation, special, to say the least. And God said, let us make man in our image. Man was different from all else. When you start studying theologians as to what exactly does that mean, that we are made in the image of God, you can get a variety of different answers as to how theologians interpret that. But one of the common, and I think practical uh, things, one of the common explanations that you will hear from many theologians is that being made in the image of God means that we have a mind like God. We We can think, and God obviously thinks. We have a will 
There are things that we desire to do, desire not to do, such as the case with God. And we have emotions. And in that sense, we are created in the image of God. The quote before you says, In his rational life, talking about man, he was like God in that he could reason and had intellect, will, and emotion. We need to be encouraged this morning that we are not here by accident. We are not here by chance. We are here by divine will. We have a divine origin. The heavens and the firmament declare the glory of God. So the Genesis account of creation explains that man was uniquely created in the image of God. That should encourage you this morning. But thirdly and lastly, the Genesis account of creation demonstrates that God had a kind and loving will for man and woman. You were made by a God that loves you and wants the best for you. Verse number 28, And God blessed them, talking about man and woman, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You should be very encouraged to know that not only are you created by God, but you were created by a loving God. I like this quote. The other great truth which this writer teaches is that man was the chief work of God, for whose sake all else was brought into being. We have dominion over all of that. The work of creation was not finished till he appeared. Talking about man. All else was preparatory to this final product. That man is the crown and the Lord of earth is obvious. As a created being, we are the object of his divine affection. There's no more beautiful story in the world than the Genesis account of creation. And again, what do we learn from it? Well, we learn a lot, but we focused on three things this morning. Number one, the Genesis account of creation confirms the existence of a creator God. The Genesis account of creation explains that man was uniquely created in the image of God. And the Genesis account of creation demonstrates that God had a kind and loving will for man and woman. And he gave us a very wonderful gift, and that was a will, a free will. You say, well, God, how can God be so good and things be so bad? It ain't his fault. You know, he didn't make us robots programmed to love him. He gave us a choice to love him and obey him or not love him or even deny him and reap the consequences. And Adam and Eve sinned, and since then, every single one of us have sinned. It's been like a genetic disease passed on from generation to generation. And having God put us in a perfect environment and just ask one thing, says, don't eat of this particular tree, and guess what Adam and Eve did? They disobeyed, and we've been disobeying ever since. It is only proper and fitting that in rebellion against a holy, righteous, loving God that we should experience the wrath of God. 
And the, 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 the trouble that the world is in today, the mess that we have to live in every day, we still see evidence of God's beauty. Just, you know, go out on the Great Lakes. Go, just drive through northern Michigan and see the rolling hills and the beautiful trees. Or go to the Smoky Mountains or the Rocky Mountains or whatever. There's still evidence of God's creative beauty all around us. But at the same time, there's a plague on the earth called sin and God's judgment. And for that reason... Things go wrong, things go bad, and we lose loved ones and people disappoint us. But through it all, God is still calling us back to a relationship with him that we experience by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Our sin separates us from a loving God. And at our death, we'll be separated from him forever in a place called hell. But God loves you. Look at all he's done. And he's made a way of escape by simply turning to Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Savior. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who was an atheist. Sir Isaac Newton is considered by many to be the brightest, most genius mind that ever lived on the face of the earth. Certainly the most brilliant scientist that ever walked the face of this earth. And he was a believer in the Creator God. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who was an atheist. The friend did not believe in God, but preferred to take the position that the universe just happened. One day the friend was visiting his learned colleague, and Newton showed him a model of the solar system. The sun, the planets, the moons were all in place. Uh, They revolved around the sun. Wait, the sizes of the spheres were in proportion, and the planets and the satellites revolved around the sun at their relative speeds. The friend admired the model. It's intriguing, he said. Who made it? Nobody, said Newton. It just happened. That's preposterous. You are here by divine design and by divine will. In your sin, you are separated from that loving God. But he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth. Because God loves the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. And he doesn't want any of his creation to burn in hell forever. He wants you to be saved. And He sent Jesus. And it's through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that those sins are forgiven. It's not through your good works. It's not through being a Baptist, Catholic, Methodist. Pentecostal, whatever. It's, it's not by going to church every Sunday. It's not by putting money in the, in the offering plate. It's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from that eternal judgment. Our heads are bowed. Our- Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.